today on Millennial. I'm too intimidated to be real. (laughs) I'm just thinking of all the awkward moments in which this might prompt you to share something. Oh, like when you're smoking a blunt or when you're taking a shit. (laughs) shit, Watching porn. Because it shows you and the thing you're looking at. Right. There's like an eight hour window where I can't get this, uh, this app notification. Would we feel comfortable with a pilot who was Joe Biden's age flying our plane? Not particularly. They're all automated now, mostly. <laughs> Pam's like giving benefit of the doubt. My biggest frustration with Biden is how much faith he is putting in bipartisanship. As we've talked about here on the show, it doesn't exist anymore. It's dead. Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting and be real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. And we're joined by one of our friends today, Eric, longtime friend of uh, Laura and mine in particular, and uh, co-host of MuggleCast. Welcome, Eric, to Millennial. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on. I, we, I said before the show, this makes me feel like I'm a real millennial now, having come on this show. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. <laughs> He's even wearing a Power Rangers shirt today. He really assumed oh. the role of a... Came prepared. A nostalgic millennial. Well, one reason we wanted to have Eric on today is because we were planning the show and we wanted to talk about fan conferences. And Eric's been to a lot of fan conferences, not just Harry Potter fan conferences. And we wanted to talk about meet and greets and all that. So we're going to be doing that in After Dark today. But yeah, Eric, we wanted to have you on for a while. We were just trying to find a good excuse to bring you on. And we were like, well, fan conferences, that's that's Eric's. I, I think we found it. Cup I think of tea. We found it. If there was another topic other than Harry Potter that I feel perfectly confident to talk about, it's fan convention. So I think we nailed it. And I'm very excited to talk about that and the other stuff. This is this is a great show. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I wanted to kick off today's show talking about this hot social media network. I hadn't really been aware of it, but then I saw on one of my favorite tech websites, The Verge, which I mentioned uh, a week or two ago, that this app Be Real is growing in popularity rapidly. It is currently number one in the Apple App Store. You might be seeing it get a lot of attention on other social media networks. The app actually launched about two years ago. The premise, and it's it's a unique one, so that's why it's getting a lot of attention. At some time during the day, let's say you already have the app, you will receive a notification that it's time to be real. And then you will have two minutes to take a picture of yourself and what you're looking at simultaneously. So it takes a picture from the front camera and the back camera at the same time. Now, here's the thing. You get no access to your camera roll. It's just the camera. So you can't apply a face filter. You can't post an old photo. You have to post what you're actually looking at right now. Everyone gets a notification in your country at the same time. So it's pretty cool because like, you can see what all your friends are doing in that moment of the day every day. And every day is a different time that you get a notification. And so the idea is that if everyone's seeing what their friends are really up to during the day, they will actually feel better about looking at their social media app. Because too often, social media is a highlight reel, right? You see people going on the trips, you see the photo after the Facetune. It's not your everyday life. So Be Real is trying to highlight the mundane everyday life that we all 
have in all actuality. And this all comes at a time when Instagram is rolling out a lot of questionable changes as it tries to compete with TikTok. So it seems to be growing in popularity at the right moment. Any of you trying Be Real yet? Are you being real on Be Real yet? No, I'm too intimidated to be real. (laughs) I'm just thinking of all the awkward moments in which this might prompt you to share something. Oh, like when you're smoking a blunt or when you're taking a shit. shit, (laughs) Watching porn. Because it shows you and the thing you're looking at. Right. There's like an eight hour window where I can't get this uh, this app notification. (laughs) Not because of porn. No, because of my day job. I have all this proprietary stuff. There's actually a social media policy. I'm not supposed to be indicating where I am, what I'm doing. I probably couldn't get this app. Oh, well, I guess you could like run around a corner and like post a photo in front of a brick wall. (laughs) Hey, guys, I'm doing nothing. Don't worry about me. For those who don't know, so my day job is I I work for uh, Redbox, the DVD rental kiosks, and also we have a contract with Amazon Locker. There are just, you know, the internal technological components I'm repairing and replacing. It's like I really couldn't answer the call if I were to get uh, a be real request at that time. Pam, have you tried it yet? Have you dared to enter? I haven't, but I had heard about this app before. It makes sense that it launched two years ago because I think I heard about it quite a while ago, probably on BuzzFeed. Their story about this app was not this is a cool answer to the stress of social media, but that Be Real was showing teens who their true friends really were because What if you don't get invited to hang out and then everybody posts a be real and you see all your friends hanging out? Oh, yeah. And you're not there, you know? And I guess that this was like enough of an issue that, you know, they were able to create a story uh, about that in general. So I guess like any social media, it still adds to FOMO, even though it's doing a much better job of combating the excessive face tuning, editing and stuff, which we've talked about before on the show, too. I have done a couple of Be Real so far. I am not a huge fan yet. Yes, I'm on Be Real. Wait, you have to show us. Yeah. Is there a link to them? What's there to show? I mean, okay, here's my I mean, what was your last one? Me sitting at my computer. And this is the problem with Be Real. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be posting the same thing every day. It's either me sitting in front of the computer or me sitting in front of the TV. Obviously, you're not going to do it while I'm taking a shit. But (laughs) Like, and your friends can react. Like, here's my be real from earlier. Okay. Wow. Cool. A photo of me editing. Oh my God. You're the coolest person I know. You can tap and then you can see my selfie. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. And then Chloe commented within five seconds of me posting this and then people can leave their own emojis and like, it's kind of fun. I just, I don't get it over the long term because it's, I just feel like it's going to be the same thing every day because that is the everyday, the mundane. It solves one problem, but it doesn't solve another because I imagine like Snapchat, there's a streak situation. Yeah. There probably is some kind of built in pressure to make sure that you're actually posting every day and you're not copping out. Well, here's the thing. So if you don't post, you can't see everybody else's be real. See FOMO. (laughs) So you're left out that way. Yeah. All the photos are blurred. You can see his posted, but you can't actually look at the photo. If you post it late, it'll say in the post, Andrew was 30 minutes late. That probably means Andrew was smoking a blunt. Oh my God. (laughs) Andrew was not real. (laughs) Andrew's fake. 
With any new social media app, I ask, what's the privacy policy? What does it look like behind the scenes? Uh, you know, what information are people electing to share? And is that, you know, personally identifiable information in a way that it wasn't before? My example of being at work, uh, you know, is it dangerous? Is it, you know, the internet's forever. So what kind of information are we giving? And then whose hands are we putting this into? And yeah. what are the pros versus the cons? Well, I don't think it's owned by a company in China like TikTok is. So it's got that going for it. You can give it your location if you want, but you don't have to tag your location, which I think is nice. Um, I haven't looked very much into the privacy. I'm one of the last people to look at the terms and conditions. (laughs) I'm just like, agree, move on with my day. Me too. Me too. The thing is, though, in contrast, like Andrew and I are in media and... Sometimes you have no choice but to opt in anyway, because you've got to use the thing or you got to try the thing. Yeah. So it's funny that it's the complete opposite um, issue to what you have, because you're like, oh, let me read this. And I'm just like, well, just take a little bit more of my information, Internet, because I'm already on 20 other apps. So this app has been around for two years now. I don't see any red flags about it at this point. You know, it's getting a fresh wave of attention and I don't see any reputable tech sites throwing down any warning flags about it. So I I think it's okay. We'll see if it takes off, though. It might just be a flash in the pan. This might be the next Wordle. Everybody's talking about it for four months, and then we forget it exists. When do you think Instagram (laughs) is going to roll out its own copycat version? This is the thing. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, they they copy each other. Twitter, six months. If it continues to grow in popularity, Instagram and the others are going to rip this off. Yeah. Feels like such an easy thing to add to another push alert for everybody. Right. Right. It's a very simple premise. And that's Mm -hmm. another part of the appeal. There's no ads in it. You just see your friends. Laura, Pam, Eric, somebody be real with me and Chloe. Get on there. (laughs) I feel like now I'm going to have to because I need to see all your be real selfies. I feel like I have to do it for the show. I wish I were as conscientious as Eric is about, you know, privacy and security through social media. I am a total fatalist, though, when it comes to data privacy. And I just assume that if I've ever put something on the Internet, that it's permanent and um, I just accept it. I do wonder, though, to your point about potentially Instagram ripping this off, I wonder... Do we think that they will keep the original spirit, the original intention behind Be Real? Or will you be able to add filters and things like that so that you can say, I'm being real, but not really? (laughs) And then Instagram can be like, hey, everybody, we know you want filters on Be Real. Well, now we made our own and you can put filters on. But that defeats the purpose of Be Be Real. Be Real light. It does. There's Well... There's almost a built-in function for it. IG already has reels. They'll change it, add an A, and then reels IG. <laughs> oh, Their yes. filterless version. Yes, they've already carved out a space. You're right. That's a good point. <laughs> they're going to act like they're geniuses. <laughs> right, right, right. What was, um, what was the recent social media sensation where it was like, I think it was called like seminar or something. You'd like go in and you could attend a talk, but it was invite only. Do you mean like Clubhouse? Clubhouse. 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 Yeah. I was trying to think of Clubhouse. It's like, it, it seems like there are some really good ideas happening and every once in a while it's like huge sensation for a couple of weeks. So. Right. And then it like nobody talks about Clubhouse anymore and well, Instagram ripped it Twitter off has or circles. Spotify. 
Twitter circles, Discord mm-hmm. did their own. Facebook yeah. did their own too, I think. Yeah. <sighs> it's just so much easier to go where your followers are because we all want attention, right? Yeah. I think there's magic in the mundane, but there's also like if you have a healthy relationship with social media and you understand that it's a highlight reel, I think you can still celebrate like your friend's curated content while un- like not letting that negatively impact your your mental health. Right. Yeah, I agree. Good point. We frequently talk on this show about what, you know, sort of a healthy relationship, what the healthy boundaries are to draw between real life and social media. And I think you actually just hit the nail on the head. We've spent multiple episodes talking about this, like, where's the line? And Eric just beautifully pointed it out. Oh, well, thanks. I'm getting be real right now just for you, Andrew. Oh, man, I'll download it after my segment. And then I'll start. (laughs) I was walking into TJ Maxx the other day when I when I got the be, be real notification. I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm out. I'm about to walk into TJ Maxx. I'll take a picture of the sign and me walking in. Well, it like takes the photo before I'm ready. It's the worst picture I've ever seen of myself. I'm like, delete. You can't even control when it take like you click on it and then it'll let you see one camera, but not both at the same time. So you got to decide which one you actually want to look at when you're taking the picture. So (laughs) it's kind of stressful. It sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) I redid today's be real like five times. I'm so fake. <laughs> so you are able to redo it. If, you can redo if it, it takes yeah. a shitty picture, you can redo it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you can. It's not easy, though. I had to, like, force quit the app and do it again <laughs> five times. They really just want to get your first take. <laughs> yeah. They're trying, but I'm going to still thwart them. You can't fool me, baby. Damn, that downloaded so fast. It's, oh, it's like, ready already for you. ready to go. Yeah. Get ready to be All real. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. So many of my friends are on here, apparently. See, it's it has really? taken off already. What? All right. Well, let's move on. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about this new controversy surrounding the Snyder Cut. This was probably something that we all heard about as people had spent quite a bit of time on the internet. But essentially, when Justice League was being made over at WB, Zack Snyder had to step back as director and Joss Whedon stepped in. This was due to a family emergency. And then a couple of years after that movie came out, it notoriously did not so well, critic-wise. There was this online movement to hashtag release the Snyder Cut, and it got so much traction on social media that WB said, you know what? Okay, we'll release the Snyder Cut. And it was one of the first things that was available as part of HBO Max's launch. So it was a really big grab for them as well, since anybody that might have been interested in that was obviously going to at least sign up for, you know, the trial. They split it up. So they got, you know, quite a few subscribers out of that as well. But now it's looking like a lot of this really impressive fan motivation. It was kind of like this. Cinderella story in Hollywood, right? It sounded too good to be true. It looks like it might have actually been a little too good to be true. (laughs) Rolling Stone put out this explosive feature where they detailed that Warner Media actually looked into the social media movement and found that 13% of accounts that were participating in hashtag release the Snyder Cut were found to be bots. Which doesn't really sound like a lot, but to put this in a little bit more perspective for everybody, only three to five percent of online engagement on trending topics is said to be from false or spam accounts. And Twitter itself uh, claims that 
it's under 5% of users are, are fake users on its site. So when you take a look at just like the sheer number of tweets that use this hashtag and you take out 13%, it's still quite a big chunk of people. Uh, in addition, Rolling Stone also approached its own cybersecurity firms and asked them to look into the social media efforts. And one digital marketing exec pointed to the sudden drop in engagement as proof that this is legit. That person said that hashtag was trending at a million tweets a day for when they wanted to release the Snyder Cut, and it dropped down to 40,000 within days. You don't see a drop like that organically. So lots of side-eyeing happening here. But probably the craziest detail to come out of this expose is that it looks like Zack Snyder himself might have actually been part of amplifying this. So this kind of starts back in 2016, where one source claims that Snyder hired a digital marketing firm to drum up fan engagement in 2016, following critics completely panning Batman versus Superman. And the report also states that more than 20 people involved with both versions of Justice League believe that Snyder was working to manipulate the movement. Now, Snyder himself has denied these claims, and he insists that if anybody was manipulating the movement, it's WB because they had a vested interest in making sure the Snyder Cut was released. It was really good promo for HBO Max. This is where it gets interesting. So I guess Snyder was also accused of weaponizing the movement in an effort to get names of two producers removed from the film. And there was some talks behind the scenes of him saying that, you know, they were going to wish they had just gone quietly. And then lo and behold, those two people, even though WB said no originally, actually ended up getting removed from the credits because of online backlash. So wow. this is pretty Dang. serious stuff. I did a little quick Google search before this show started just to make sure that there hadn't been any updates. I didn't see any, but it's going to be interesting to see how or if there's any response on the other side. I'm guessing they just walk away from it. But yeah, this is pretty crazy, especially the angle of like Snyder and Warner Brothers may have actually orchestrated all of this excitement to kind of give themselves an excuse to get this out on HBO Max was that could the thinking have just been if we pump the tweets up, if we inflate the numbers, if we make it look even bigger, that will get the the people who aren't curious about this to actually tune into because I'm actually one of those people. I didn't watch the original Justice League. I don't think. But when I found out that the Justice League was actually, we were finally going to get the Snyder Cut that everybody was talking about, I thought that was really cool that they actually were going to release that because it's kind of like a testament to what's possible on these streaming platforms. There's a little more flexibility for things like this instead of a traditional theatrical release. And so I did start to watch the Snyder Cut, but then it's a three by two, meaning square aspect ratio. It was in black and white. It was just like so different from what, and I'm not really a Justice League or DC Comics person. So I got like 30 minutes into it and then I tapped out. I just couldn't do it. But I think it worked on me. All the, all the tweets, all the hype. All the fake tweets, maybe, did a number on me. I did see the original uh, Justice League film, not the Snyder Cut. Uh, I found it, unfortunately, and I, I know it's popular sometimes to like say a bad thing about a director or whatever, but it, like I'm not doing that. I genuinely find the Zack Snyder Superman movies to kind of be unwatchable. Um, Justice League, I actually thought was pretty okay. The version I saw... And I did mean to catch the Snyder Cut just as a result of all the hype, and it was getting 
some seemingly good reviews from people I do know that did watch it. Um, that said, I was wondering if they added, because didn't they do reshoots to create like the complete Snyder cut? Like, didn't they bring I some of the actors so. back? I believe yeah. they did. A few years. Mm-hmm. I'm, I Googled an article. I think it said they pumped an additional 21 or 25 million uh, into the production of the film for just the reshoots on wow. the Justice League. So here's where the bot campaign comes in is like, you have to prove if you're Zack Snyder or anybody wanting this to happen, you have to prove that there's enough demand because right. in today's Hollywood climate, next to nothing gets greenlit that isn't proven to be in demand. So I think that that could be where the bots come in of, yeah. you know, really getting a project greenlit. And if so, it proves that a lot of this stuff is very easily manipulated. Twitter, Facebook, like social media is so easily manipulated by these bot accounts, or at least they can develop, you know, they're not safe from fake accounts. And that can sway elections that can get a movie greenlit that maybe didn't need to get greenlit. So it's a bit of a, you know, this is a real big alarm bell for me because now you're messing with my media. This kind of reminds me, too, of how you can buy Twitter followers, Instagram followers. You can pay, I think, for some engagement, too. And then to your point, Eric, you can buy your way into success on social media, and then you can kind of sell yourself to a potential job by saying, hey, look, I want to be up for this role. Check out how many followers I have on social media, when in all reality, that could have been bought. This is a long way from the guy who said, like, I will wear your T-shirt one day every day of the year to like companies and he sold do you remember this that like different companies paid this guy to wear their shirt and he walked around advertising i think i do remember that yeah this is like i mean many years ago but this is this is like the equivalent of that it's like you can become an influencer by followers or by sway and then be used wittingly or unwittingly to further the agenda of you know people who want their movie made so yeah It also makes you wonder about all of the, quote, social media movements that some of us may get swept up in. I'm thinking about, for example, and and we don't have to go into particulars here, because I know that people have very strong opinions on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. There were massive uh, social media efforts underway Um, And there is some speculation that some of it may have been bot activity. And there were a lot of very real people who were posting in the I stand with Johnny Depp, I stand with Amber Heard hashtags, who probably had no idea that they were being influenced by what was likely, at least in part, a bot campaign. Yeah, Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think for better or worse, as a result of that trial in particular, I feel like bots are at the forefront of everybody's minds right now when we should have been thinking about this before. I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember we took, you found an online quiz for us, Laura, where we were trying to differentiate between an artificially created social media post and some something that was by a real person. I wanted to know if online discourse sways our opinion in any way on the regular? Or do you all catch yourself kind of stopping to process what you're reading? I know sometimes I don't if I'm doom scrolling at like three o'clock in the morning. But if I'm in my right mind, I will maybe give it a pause for thought. 
It's a really good question. I think yeah. it's going to come down to the example. Like I said earlier, like the Snyder Cut, I was definitely swayed by all the online discourse. There's a lot of people very excited about it. And I'm sure there were plenty of people who were genuinely excited. And I'm happy that they got their four hour Snyder <laughs> Cut, which was released in four parts, too. Like you couldn't even it was like four episodes of television, practically. Yeah, I think I can get caught up in the hype in the online discourse, and that can influence my opinion, especially politically, too. You think about just how people are are reacting to certain news items, and when you see enough people complaining or celebrating something, it it starts to adjust your your own opinion on something. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, social media... The social media I'm on the most is Twitter, and it's not close, but... uh, the, the things I see on Twitter are usually by the accounts that I follow. So it there is a familiarity of like, I know who it's coming from. I don't tend to spend a lot of time on like trending topics uh, page or anything like that. So that might safeguard me. But I do know that as far as being susceptible to, or, or to like influence, um, I have a confirmation bias problem. I tend to retweet and like things that sound like they would be accurate based on my political views. And I've been called out at least once or twice for needing to look a little deeper uh, into the situation. So by by conscientious followers of mine. So I think that there's, you know, it's a real issue and you want to make sure always that the content that you're sharing or interacting with is in good faith and is fully formed. And, but we don't really operate that way as people. So it can be a bit problematic. Yeah, I hear that. I think as a culture, most of us suffer from some level of confirmation bias. You're not alone, Eric. Um, I think when I really catch myself is if I read something that I thought was a particularly interesting, funny, or insightful point on Twitter. If I find myself referencing that thing in a normal conversation, that's Mm. usually a moment where I stop myself and I'm like, why am I referencing this tweet that some random person that I don't even know if they really exist put on the internet like who cares what that person had to say um so that's usually an indicator for me that i'm like oh maybe it's time to delete twitter for a couple of weeks (laughs) i do that every every now and then i delete social apps off my phone when i feel like it's getting too serious (laughs) and i go back to them only when i feel like i've had adequate opportunities to purge it from my life at least for a couple weeks man i could never do that I feel like the scene in Brokeback Mountain, like, I wish I could quit you. I can never, <laughs> I could never. <laughs> you and a lot of people. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it randomly. I saw a TikTok the other day. That TikTok is another place where I spend way too much time. <laughs> and it was, it was a TikTok of, you know, allegedly a Karen type situation. And the guy filming was sort of having a dispute with this quote, Karen, and the whole situation seems so ridiculous that I was like, wow, this is crazy. I sent it to my brother. Yeah. And his first response was, I've seen better acting in porn. Laura, I have noticed these TikToks too. There are staged yeah. situations. Lori Grenier, one of the sharks on Shark Tank, the popular investing show on CNBC and, and uh, ABC, Half of her TikTok videos are these stage 
situations. And everybody knows that they're staged, and I think she even admits they're staged. But it's like, why are you... Is this supposed to be funny that you're having a fake Karen freak out on you? I truly do not understand the purpose of these videos. The appeal of a real Karen is that it's a real Karen. When you're faking the Karen, who gives a shit? Don't dilute the Karen pool with these fake-ass Karens. And I saw one of these today, again, not from Lori, but from somebody else. It was clearly fake. It does more harm than good in the long run because what you're, it's kind of like what Eric says, you're diluting a situation. So then the next time somebody sees a very real situation of like, say like racism in relation to a Karen, which we've seen a lot of, they'll say, oh, well, that's clearly fake because Lori has fake examples on TikTok all the time. They won't engage with it. They'll disconnect. Right. It becomes normalized. The other thing is, it's really just when it comes down to it, an avenue for hate, because this whole, you know, there was a perhaps at one point when Karen, the term started first becoming coined and used widely on the Internet. Perhaps there was a point to it that was very important. Uh, I felt that it tapped into something very important to communicate from our generation to the boomers. Uh, But by now, any example of like, ooh, I cited a Karen or here's a Karen in a store is really, when you think about it, only used to spread hate. So if you're doing fake Karens, it's another excuse for people to be like, oh, I hate that generation or I hate this behavior. I think it's maybe outlived its usefulness. So staging Karen incidents on TikTok where the younger generation is seeing it at this point is like, for me, that's too far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and why would you want to stage something that's already pretty prevalent? Right. And problematic. Yeah. I think that what this comes down to at the end of the day is that with great power comes great responsibility. There's a lot of power in having a cell phone being able to broadcast stuff. We've seen how that can be a tool used for good to expose the truth. And you shouldn't take advantage of that and then make it into something that other people doubt because there's already enough suspicion in the world. So and fake you know, news. use your powers yeah. for good. Be good citizen journalists. Now I'm watching these Lori Grenier TikToks. Like she, and she attacks- should know better. She has a huge platform. And doesn't she have anything better to do? Like, this grandma-looking woman is siphoning gas from Lori's truck, and Lori approaches her and says, how dare you steal gas from my car? And then the grandma falls over. This has 12 million views. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just... And well, well and anyway. also, gas siphoning is an actual problem and an actual thing that happens to people, especially, especially right now during I I times about like that now. The other day. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, inflation is high, gas prices are high. Like, why take something that's a real problem for a lot of people and just make a spectacle out of it for the like? Plus, you're never you're never gonna write the the craziness that you see in the wild. Yeah, that, you know, right. it's never gonna be able to capture true, authentic people so don't try and that's why real karen and other shocking videos are so great because it's like wow i cannot believe that happened speaking of tiktok and misinformation and disinformation a new study has found that more teens are turning to tiktok for news and they don't even trust what they see on there so quoting from the study now the number of people consuming news content on tiktok has increased from 800,000 in 2020 to 3.9 million in 2022 for the first time instagram is the most is the most popular news source amongst younger people 
used by 29% of teens in 2022, with TikTok and YouTube close behind. Despite its newfound popularity, though, though, less than a third of young people, 30%, asked in the study, said they actually trusted the news content they found through TikTok. Well, that's good. <laughs> like, what? I get my news from TikTok, but I don't trust it. Listen, that's better than I remember when we were probably the age of some of these Gen Zers that the big headline was millennials are getting most of their news from Colbert Report Daily Show. And a lot of us were just taking that at face value. Not all of us, but, you know, a good chunk. And so at least they're dubious about the media they're consuming. But I will say it's funny to see this and then think about... Um, how prevalent it is for older generations to take what they read on Facebook very seriously. Yes. <laughs> the it's irony. I know. It is quite a contrast. Well, there's one of those that saying, I think I saw it on Twitter, but it's probably a retweet of a Tumblr post that said, your parents will be like, don't trust the internet. They're strangers and they don't have your best interest. And then the same parents in 2022 are like reading everything on Facebook and believing, you know, totally. Believing it. Yeah. Um, like but it's attractive. Finding news on TikTok is attractive. Even just news for... So I was recently diagnosed with uh, ADD at uh, at age, I think it was 32 uh, at the time. So there's all these TikToks that are like, 10 signs that you have ADD and they go into it. And it's like, you know what? A lot of those aren't scientifically based. And a lot of them, it, it can be a problem if you just take someone's word for what they've done in their catchy video. And I've actually seen that topic in particular about ADD, ADHD, uh, receive blowback from a lot of misinformation that's spreading. But I mean, think about other people with debilitating either mental illnesses or struggles that they're having that somebody on TikTok is like, let me tell you everything you need to know about yourself. Like, no, actually, you should be talking to a professional, like a doctor or somebody, not somebody on your phone screen uh, you know, who's telling you all your symptoms. It, it can be a useful tool. The internet can be a, a great tool. Self-diagnosis research that you find on the internet is an amazing first step, but don't rely on it to tell you everything about yourself or your condition. Your situation is unique. This also strikes me as being like the alarm bell sounding, kind of like when we were told in high school, don't rely on Wikipedia because <laughs> it's anybody can write it. Yeah. Like this is that same conversation happening where like you can't control, but it's not wrong, right? They weren't wrong about Wikipedia. Anybody could write in any kind of false information and you'd be doing a book report and you'd really screw it up. That said, you know, with enough regulation, I think Wikipedia's come around people who use it are largely trustworthy in my guess right now but wikipedia well, and it's the also sourcing. has footnotes yeah yes. sourcing so that's the trick kids you go to wikipedia for info that you're looking for then you click the little footnote then you yes. go to the source where that came from and then you vet that source you okay the primary source, yeah. secondary sources etc but can tiktok do that they can't, the but problem. I wish they could. Yeah, because I think people would be, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm giving everyone too much credit, but I think that I would hope more people would be inclined to check sources because uh, a lot of times. I mean, if I have to click on the comments feed to see the sources, I'm not clicking on it, right? TikTok's all about swiping and that's like, the problem. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. It's all about let me get through as many videos as possible. They make it damn easy 
Instagram is going to be ripping this off too. the the swiping up to go to the next post or the next video. And, you know, it just snaps into view the next post. People don't want to go and look at other sources. They'd rather just sit there and have that laid back experience, that passive experience that you also get with television. And Chloe's saying you can link sources and that's good. And I know um, TikTok, you can report misinformation, but Who's going to do that? And who's also going to click those sources? Nobody's going to click them. You just want to keep moving along. Swap, Mm -hmm. swap, swap. TikTok has a lot of work to do with regards to verifying um, whether claims are accurate or not, because there's always been a problem with accounts getting banned because, you know, they're a byproduct of doxing. So they weren't actually doing anything wrong or spreading misinformation, but somebody didn't like what they were saying. And then all of a sudden their account gets suspended. But I've also seen on the flip side that it seems like they're at least taking some claims more seriously. So I hope that that's a good turning point for the app. But I don't know. I think it's kind of hard, especially when you look at news, because right now there is a rise in popularity for alternative news shows. So it's not necessarily news that's coming from uh, like a traditional outlet, but you're seeing like streamers on Twitch and all they're doing is like talking about current events or there are new shows on YouTube as well. And you're starting to see that go over to TikTok because people are starting to wise up to the fact that there is a market there and there is viewership there. And I think on one hand, it seems like it might do some good because it it could potentially put some pressure on traditional news networks to make sure that they're being more accurate in their coverage. But on the other hand, there is no way to vet these people and make sure that they know how to vet their own sourcing. It's a double-edged sword, right? You might just think like, oh, this post has a ton of likes. This post has a ton right. of views. It must right. be accurate. This yeah. is kind of like well, how then. we've and always TikTok, judged YouTube videos too. Right. Yes. Well, and YouTube got rid of their dislike count. That's a great point. Yeah. And people often forget with you know TikTok, with YouTube, those apps are showing you what you want to see. Yeah. They it's an re- echo chamber. Yep. They are reinforcing what you think and what you believe, whether you are intentionally going to those spaces for that or not. So I always try to assume, especially on TikTok, that I'm there for entertainment. I'm not actually going to learn anything there that I don't already know, or that I wouldn't find out through doing research for this show. Um, A really common trend that I see that drives me nuts is somebody has, you know, their news TikTok, and they're talking about current affairs. And they'll start their TikTok off with this very urgent, booming voice saying something ridiculous, like, Joe Biden just confirmed he won't be running for president in 2024. Like and follow for more. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, (laughs) go to part two to hear more. It's just, it's so annoying. I won't even... Sidebar, if somebody puts up a video and they hook it to be like, go to part two for more, I won't. I won't do it out of principle because it pisses me off. Those clickbait article things in a new form should have died years ago. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just like BuzzFeed. All media outlets do it. And also, honestly... We as podcasters need to look in the mirror, too. There's nobody vetting us in real time. We can post whatever the F we want. Spotify started adding COVID warning labels to episodes in light of all the Joe Rogan drama. But other than that, 
There's no vetting going on. We could say whatever we want. Tim Cook's not going to jump in and be like, hey, everybody, that's not particularly true. We're going to take this episode down. Our audience vets us. They definitely do. <laughs> it's the Wild West. And we could clickbait, too, if we want. We could make shit up. I'm sure a lot of there's some, you know, disingenuous podcasters out there who who do. We try to do our best to present factual information and not mislead anybody. But, yeah, it's a problem everywhere on the Internet. And getting back to the story about the teens, it is worrying that so many teens are relying on TikTok for news because we do see how how TikTok creators manipulate people to continue watching the videos, kind of to Laura's point. I've noticed they, they've gotten better at slowly giving you the information that you want within a single video to make you watch longer because then that tells the algorithm this viewer really likes this TikToker, so that viewer will start seeing the TikToker more or show them more of that type of video. That TikToker will start to rise up in the algorithm because people are watching their videos for longer. Manipulation everywhere, as far as the eye can see. I'm so glad that when I go on TikTok, I really only have one identifiable political belief, and that that's that cats and rabbits are best friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, you're a cat, you're in cat rabbit best friend TikTok. That sounds like a nice TikTok. Yes, that that those are the TikTok videos that show up. I currently, although Chloe did just show me how to use the search feature on TikTok the other day, so I might be branching out at some point because I couldn't find the button before. What are you gonna search for next? Dog and whale friendship TikTok? Maybe bunny and snail best friends. You know, believe it or not, despite how much I'm talking about TikTok today, I'm not on TikTok much, but I was on TikTok before the show today. And um, TikTok was giving me social anxiety TikTok. And I was really enjoying that. I was like, oh, so relatable. So <laughs> relatable. Like, like, like. What is social anxiety? T- is it people holding the phone like across the room and like just like sitting and watching? Something? Yeah. Or like you're second guessing every social interaction you have. Yeah. But like we said, we try to do right by y'all and your support at our Patreon helps us do right and helps us spend lots of time on the show so we can research what we're talking about and then present you with the most accurate information possible. Wanted to plug a couple of things that are new on our Patreon in the last week. I just did a variety show. Eric, do you like the Minions? Yeah, I. in spite of myself, I do. Okay, thank you. I do too. And I did a 20 minute presentation on our Patreon about why the minions are to be loved and respected. This was in light of Laura saying she doesn't like the minions and they give her nightmares. So I clapped back, uh, did a whole presentation, uh, visual presentation. It's a whole big thing. You can check that out on our Patreon. You can also check out our latest installment of Breaking News in which we were reacting to the final, for now, January 6th committee hearing that occurred in prime time last week. Lots of highlights in that hearing. It's a dark subject, but we couldn't help but laugh at a couple things like Trump saying he didn't like the word yesterday. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much at our Patreon. And coming up in After Dark today, that's our weekly benefits, we are going to be discussing meet and greets with celebrities. And we're going to be talking about a couple of highlights from this year's San Diego Comic-Con. So we're looking forward to talking about all that with Eric today. That's all at patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody, for your support. Laura, let's talk a little politics. We're going to talk about a political story today that I think people have strong opinions about one way or another. And I just want to say this is a safe space to have those disagreements. I'm pretty sure that at least myself and one other person on this panel feel very differently about this topic. Uh, And the topic is who the fuck 
is going to run for president in 2024. More specifically, is Biden going to run again? Should he run again? We're wondering this because looking at the other side of the aisle and trying to think about who are Republicans going to run, Trump has lost support of half of GOP voters, um, according to the New York Times, which is it presents an interesting challenge for him because he has indicated that he plans on running. At the same time, when we're looking at the youth vote on the Democrat side, just 1% of 18 to 29 year olds approve of Joe Biden's job performance. Uh, uh. How are we feeling about Joe Biden running in 2024? Do we want him to run? Would we prefer he step down? I'm a little bit torn because I get the frustration when it comes to Biden. But I also just feel like we we as a party on the Democratic side have not done enough to uh, figure out who would be a viable replacement. And I feel like a lot of that takes time, especially if Trump runs again. He's coming in with a built in audience. And I don't know who we would be able to pit against him and win with. So I feel like the safer bet is to just let Biden go for the next four years if he does run again. The other thing is, too, is like, I really do not want another Bernie Hillary split down the middle. That was just like so heartbreaking in all of the worst ways. And it's further proof that Democrats don't know how to organize and we don't know how to push an agenda for the greater good in an effort to not end up in a shithole like we were for four years when Trump was in office. I agree completely. It really is about it's less about who you like and more who can win Um, when it comes to Biden. For me, um, if it does end up that Trump is running again, which all indications, I don't know how that's even a question in Americans' minds that it would be possible, but he's doing it. So that's a problem, but I think nobody, I mean, Biden beat him once, he can beat him again. And I'm remaining optimistic in that sense. But America has a problem. It's not just Democrats. America, if you look at uh, all the presidents of the United States since 1993, 29 years, uh, all the U.S. presidents except Obama were born within four years of each other in the early 1940s. Mm. We have a fucking problem with Age and the gap has only widened and it's disgusting. And think about how many presidents were formerly VPs, right? There's this trajectory. There's this common idea of what makes a president worthy, except for Trump, who weirdly came out of nowhere and was, (laughs) you know, this con man who suddenly got a platform. But we have these ideas about what does and doesn't make a president. And unfortunately, it's so enshrined in people's voting habits that uh, again, weirdly Trump accepted. Uh, nobody new or fresh, wholly new or wholly fresh is really going to be able to get in there where they need to be to capture a nation's inspiration and, and really get the vote. So it's going to be these old white men. It's like America proved in 2016. We're not ready for a woman president. I voted for Hillary. I was very excited. I've wanted Warren to be there now. You like it's just not. We as a country continue to make awful decisions, but also we are hung up on this idea. And so right now, I think who can win in in 2024 
it's probably Biden. And if he doesn't run, if he decides to step back, I might even think that's the right call. But I don't genuinely know what Democrat could run in his stead. I think there are a lot of people that aren't ready now, but will be soon. Not soon enough. Definitely some young talent (laughs) out there that I'm really excited to see what their careers uh, look like. Andrew, what about you? I think uh, the points brought up so far are very good. I think to Eric's point, yeah, a lot of people are just more comfortable seeing an older guy in office because that's what they're used to. And I actually I do agree. It's a hard truth to say out loud. But I think the 2016 election did show that many people in America are not ready for a woman president. It's extremely unfortunate. Hillary could not have been more qualified for that role. Um, But I do worry about the chaos that Biden stepping down at the end of his current term would cause, because I think a lot of people have quickly forgotten that Biden did beat Trump. He got the job done. We nominated him because we hoped he could get the job done, and he did. And there were plenty of other people running for that spot on the Democratic ticket, and we're not sure if other people could have beaten Trump. So we have to keep that in mind when we're looking at 2024. I would prefer we just stay the course. Now, some things are different. Biden has, well, at that point, have had four years to prove himself. And so far, it's not going very well. You need some wins. A lot can change in the next two years, though. People are going to forget some of the hard times that we're going through right now. He can turn things around, I think, in the next two years. And maybe he can get it done. And God knows how much more baggage Trump is going to have on him by the time 2024 rolls around. And similarly, how much baggage Biden can have by the time we get to uh, the next election. So short answer, I think it's safest if Biden runs again in 2024. I think y'all are probably right. Um, A lot of what I'm hearing from y'all resonates with me when it comes to how do we prevent a repeat of 2016, which we definitely don't want. On the other hand, I'm, I'm definitely on the fence on this. Part of me would very much love to see him gracefully step down and pass the baton to somebody younger, somebody who... I would think is maybe more in touch with what the political landscape looks like today. My biggest frustration with Biden is how much faith he is putting in bipartisanship. As we've talked about here on the show, it doesn't exist anymore. It's dead. Any kind of bipartisan effort that gets through Congress is so watered down that it has no teeth by the time it gets passed. And when it comes to things like abolishing the filibuster, I feel very tired of hearing from the White House, well, Congress needs to act. They're not going to. So you you as the president are the leader of the Democratic Party. So you need to lead the party and actually promote some substantive change. And that is not something that I feel we're getting from the Biden presidency. On the other hand, I feel that a lot of progressives are also diminishing the accomplishments that have been had during this presidency. There have been moments where 
Biden has been very successful, even if progressives didn't get exactly what we wanted. The administration has been marked by successes. I'm thinking about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I'm thinking about bipartisan gun reform, even though it's not exactly what we would have wanted. I'm thinking about the first Black woman nominated to nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court. There are these glimmers that show we are on the right path. And I genuinely think Biden wants to take us there. But I think that he also is a remnant of a time when bipartisanship existed. And I don't feel like it exists anymore. I think we need a leader who understands that and who leads accordingly. Will we get that? Probably not. I would obviously still vote for Biden over whoever the hell the Republicans nominate. But he would not be my first choice. He wasn't my fifth choice in 2020. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, so that's that's my like long winded, very nuanced take (laughs) on this question. I would like to see it. Do I think it's catastrophic if we don't see it? Not necessarily. I think he can still win. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, will Biden run and what has the messaging out of the White House been around this? There was this interesting moment uh, where Vice President Kamala Harris was on Face the Nation and she was asked the question, will Joe Biden run again in 2024? And this was her answer. Up on Capitol Hill, there is speculation among some Democrats and some Republicans that President Biden won't run for re-election in 2024. What's your message to those who say that? Listen to President Biden. He intends to run. And if he does, I intend to run with him. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, Another run by former President Trump is possible. He is signaling that. Would that make it more likely that the president runs? He did it before. (laughs) So I, I, you know, listen, honestly, right now, let's focus on what we got to do with right now, because I know that's how the president is focused. That was a bit of an awkward moment. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I think that in general, when asked this kind of question, politicians are going to give a hedgy answer like this. But I would think that if, you know, it was full steam ahead, Given some of the other criticisms that there have been of Biden, um, the current state of affairs with respect to inflation and the economy, plus all of the commentary about his age and the impact that could have, I was a little bit surprised that his presumed running mate wouldn't have a firmer answer, um, especially since she and her staff had to know she was going to be asked the question. I feel like Biden doesn't even really know for sure yet. He just hasn't made up his mind. And so they're going to say that he it's intends just to run the for quarter, now. though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you got to plan more than two years ahead. This is how we got in this mess to begin with. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, is anyone else saying definitely that they're going to run in 2024 on the left or right? Not really. I think it's just too early right Mm -hmm. now. I think Democrats are waiting on Biden. Well, right. Yeah, that's an important factor. (laughs) And I think Republicans are waiting on Trump. 
except for DeSantis, Mm -hmm. who I think would be happy to run against Trump. It's also tough to have this conversation without veering into some potential ageism. I know we've talked about age today, and I don't think the way we've talked about it has gone down that path. But oftentimes, um, when I see critics of, you know, Biden potentially running again, the number one issue that gets brought up is he's just too old. He's just too old. And we want to try to avoid that. But we also have to recognize that there are age requirements that restrict how young a president can be. You have to be at least 35 um, to be president. Um, So to me, that indicates that there may be a case for having an upper age limit too. With that in mind, I looked at some professions that also have age limits, pilots. Um, You are forced to retire at 65. You cannot fly for a commercial airline if you are older than 65, uh, which makes sense. I mean, (laughs) would, would we feel comfortable with a pilot who was Joe Biden's age flying our plane? Not particularly. They're all automated now, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the co-pilot. You're fine. Pam's like giving benefit of the doubt. The presidency is Maybe automated they could these be, days. Yeah. We got the vice president. Uh, who? You know, <laughs> that's that argument. Truck drivers also tend to have an upper age limit, although that varies depending on the company you work for. Um, most states have an upper age limit on judges. Um, In a lot of cases, if you're doing child or elder care, um, age is a consideration because you just have to be physically able to do those jobs. And actually, a recent YouGov poll found that the majority of Americans would actually support an upper age limit for elected officials. So I wanted to ask y'all that right now on this panel, would we be supportive of an upper age limit on elected officials? Yes, but who is going to have to enact this? The Senate, many of whom are old as fuck, oh, yeah. too. Yeah. It, it would put probably... them all out to pasture. Y- yeah, yes, I, if right, it, especially right. if it affects the Supreme Court justices as well, because some of them, it's just ridiculous that, you know, that's a life term. And these older people in Washington might have presidential aspirations themselves. It's just never going to happen, I don't think, unless we see some case where, God forbid, a 75-year-old president, you know, something happens to him and it's strictly because of their old age. Like, maybe that would give people pause for a second. And because of that president dying in office, something terrible happened to the country. Maybe, maybe then they'll think about age limits. But other than that, I don't really see it happening. But yes, I would support the idea. What would the age limit be, though, like 70? Yeah, that's then if you, problem. You do, like, like, you the problem. If you do the full eight, it would be almost 80. Like, right. 78 is still kind of old. I don't even necessarily want an upper age limit. But what I want to see is more 35-year-old presidents. But, like candidates, at least. Let's give it to that. Like, honestly, a country that's safe enough and secure enough to be able to give it to a 40-year-old who's done one or two really successful and philanthropic endeavors like give it to that guy but it's just things are so volatile these days and like you talk about the political climate being so different but in some way and in some ways it is right nicety is out the window bipartisanship is out the window but a lot of these people that are in the senate now are the same guys that biden was with when he was in the senate it's like it's so old i guess not meant to be ageist it's just it's true and if you're talking about 
members of the Senate supposed to represent the Americans. We've had three or four new generations of Americans since these people first took their oath of office. It is kind of embarrassing, too, when you think about how like like they must hear people saying it's time for you to step down. Like, for example, Dianne Feinstein is still there. She's done some Shouldn't great be, stuff in her according career. According to news reports. But she's yeah, like maybe it's not time all there for anymore. He's on down the road. Yeah. And there would be no shame in that because she's had a, an incredible career. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, we can't lose a single Democrat because they're in these dest- these eras that might get uh, a red person in instead. Like, but my favorite thing is asking senators, like, what's the price of bread? And seeing how much of a disconnect it is with what it actually is. And like, that's the other thing is not only are these politicians exceptionally old and out of touch because of their age, but they're also exceptionally out of touch because of their class. These people have taken so many contributions. They are well above the career line and their SOs have been involved. I mean, that thing that came out about Pelosi uh, recently, yeah. and the, the kickback, they're like millions and billions of dollars that have gone to these U.S. politicians that have been in for decades. They're out of touch from a money standpoint, from an age standpoint. The like the only thing they're holding on to is tradition. And again, that loophole where the narrative in America is that presidents should all be over 60 at a minimum. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe, Eric, to your point about let's get some younger people in. Maybe we can change that narrative. Maybe we can get a a young person, let's say Buttigieg, in as president. And people, you know, let's say it goes well. Oh, my gosh. And then people start thinking, oh, okay, it can work if we have a younger person in the office. And then maybe that'll start shifting the trend. And then the older generations, the older candidates actually won't look attractive anymore. Maybe we will get to that point in our lifetimes. I mean, we did it with Obama. We can't forget Obama was in his mid 40s. Yeah, that's true. I did forget how young he was. He was was born (laughs) in 61. Yeah, it is possible. Buttigieg would actually be the first millennial president. Yeah, he's an he's an elder millennial born in 82. He'll wear a Power Rangers shirt just like you. Yes, (laughs) I think he will eventually run for president. Um, I know a lot of people are thinking maybe 24 is his time. I don't think so. Um, it was actually recently announced that he is moving to Michigan. And my thought is that he's going to try and run for governor there. Mm. I think he'll run for governor in Michigan. And, you know, as a position, governor is is effectively a mini president. You are the mini president of that state. It's like a good stepping stone. Yeah. Absolutely. Wasn't that Clinton's path? Yes. Uh, He was governor of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And Buttigieg, like, he's really good on uh, Fox News. He'll go on Fox News. They're still inviting him for some reason. And he slams these Republicans. And in a very smooth way. He mops the floor with them. Yeah, Yeah. he's good. I think that Fox News is kind of scared of him. That's one person that they aren't able to attack very often because there's nothing to attack. Well, right. Being gay, being gay is so not a bad thing now in the eyes of a huge part of the demographic, which is great. Right. Because that would have been their original, you can't trust this guy or whatever. Meanwhile, like Gavin Newsom, coastal elite, California, they're attacking him all the time. Sanders attacking him all the time. Kamala, I'm stealing Laura's list here. I'm sorry. That's okay. Kamala getting, I'll see Fox News on in the gym. They're always attacking her like she's flubbing left and right. Like she's making all kinds of mistakes. Like, uh, Did you see what Trump was doing for four years? But 
all these people, they're easy targets for Fox News and Republicans to hit. Not so much with Pete thus far. Yeah. And actually, you you bring up a really great point about, um, you know, Fox News being really hard on Democratic politicians. But I think a really good thing for us to align on here is thinking about how we treat Democratic politicians and how their approval ratings are impacted by their voters versus how Republican voters treat their politicians. Because again, we have this as Democrats, a nasty habit of falling into this trap. We are way harder on our people. Specifically, we can talk about Biden. Then Republicans are on their own, say Trump. For example, over the past couple of months, Democrats' support of uh, Biden, effectively the polls saying that we approve of the job that he's doing, dropped from 84% to 75% among Democrats. That brought the national average down to a 36%. Whereas Trump saw little to no impact in the wake of Charlottesville, in the wake of the January 6th insurrection. So we are far more apt to shit on our own than they are. So my call to action here is whether you want Biden to step down or not, you have to be prepared to get in line behind whoever the candidate is in 24 and vote for them so that we do not go back to Trumpism. It can't happen. I mean, or else we're leaving. If it's another, if it's <laughs> another race between Trump and Biden, I still side with Biden to put a, be able to put a sentence together. And he's four years older than Trump. Yeah. So. But Americans don't care. That's the problem. (laughs) Well, no, the problem, Laura, is that the government that's supposedly right and left, the left is just left of center. Yeah. That's the real problem. Our entire Democratic leadership is a little bit left of center, more moderate, really, in the views that they could have. And we don't really have a real left establishment the way that we have a radical right establishment right uh actively influencing every election from local onward so that i think is another reason why the democrats are more vocal against their own it is a trap it is dangerous to fall into for the reasons you've outlined but i mean in my heart of hearts we'd have a much more radical left than anyone could handle yeah we gotta fight fire with fire come on let's get dirty Because like when it comes down to it, I think of the left these days as really wanting liberty and democracy. And I don't think that's really an unpopular idea when you get down to it. It's just about how hard you're going to fight for it. In thinking about who might be running in uh, 2024 on the Republican side, I know we've talked about some of of this. We talked about uh, Ron DeSantis, who seems like the most likely apart from Trump. I I feel like these others, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, they're all kind of waiting to see if Trump is going to run. And if he does, they won't. But DeSantis has shown that he's not afraid to run afoul of Trump. So I could see these two having a pretty nasty primary season against one another. I want to see Pence run, too. He's kind of signaled that he's running. He's laying some groundwork there. He's been making appearances across the country. He's going to be publishing a book he just announced uh, this fall. He has said it's time to move on. 
uh, in referring to the January 6th, everything that happened around January 6th. And uh, he wants to move on from Trump. That has been clear as well. Trump clearly does not want to run with Pence again. That's definitely not happening. So uh, I, I would love to see Pence run just to see Trump and Pence go see them in a debate. <laughs> at least some debates. Yeah. Yeah. I hope if that happens, they just spill the tea on each other and it just gets really ugly and nasty. And What is there <laughs> to say? <laughs> One of them tried to have the other hanged. I know. On public, in, in public. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it has to be real tea, but you know. <laughs> What's going to be sad is Trump is going to talk about how Pence could have overturned the will of the people. Yeah. Right. He was for the fake election. For now, I would just say to kind of put a bow on this conversation, I don't think there's a right or wrong interpretation about whether you think Biden should be the candidate in 2024, as long as we as progressives are all willing to get in line behind the candidate and not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. That's well said. All right. Well, let's move on to some recommendations now. So I don't know if you all heard this week, there is some very unfortunate news the Chaco Taco is unfortunately being put to rest. Very sad. Sent out to pasture, going up to Chaco Taco Heaven. Taco Heaven, maybe. I hope Taco Heaven. Why? So this is the popular dessert. It's just ice cream in a freaking taco with fud with fudge on top. It was so good. I brought I bring this up because I used to love Chaco Tacos as a kid. This is this is one of those moments when Twitter shines. They're they're posting all their takes on Chaco Taco uh, being retired. Everybody like mourning the loss of Chaco Taco. But um, I will miss ta- Chaco Taco. And I just wanted to take my recommendation slot to say, R.I.P. Chaco Taco. I loved you. I hope you come back someday. Maybe listener, try to find Chaco Taco at your local retailer before Choco Taco rides off into the sunset. I also have a food recommendation. Um, I want to recommend Seas Candies chocolate coffee beans. I got a bag of these for my birthday and they're so good. And as an added bonus, they're made with Pete's coffee beans, which is my favorite Ooh. coffee chain. So it's just Seas dark chocolate around uh, Pete's coffee and it's they're delicious. They're probably like the best um, chocolate covered coffee beans I've ever had. So if that is something that you enjoy, I would recommend getting your hands on some of these because it's very good. I'm going to recommend the Nest thermostat. I've had one of these for a few months now, um, and it seems kind of random in part because it is because I was struggling to think of a recommendation. But can you eat it, Laura? Is this something you can eat? Is it chocolatey? No, I wouldn't. I would not recommend eating it <laughs> oh. or putting it in your mouth. You said Nest and I thought Nestle. And I was like, oh, yeah, now we're yeah. on a theme here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Really like it. It's, you know, it it's $70. So it's not inexpensive. But for the utility, it's actually worth it, in my opinion. It was super easy to set up. Um, with our HVAC system, it took us like five minutes. We did it because we hated the um, kind of standard panel that was installed with our unit. And we like being able to easily control it from our phones. It also pairs really nicely with our Google Home. So we can say things like, and I'm going to say it real quiet because I don't want to turn it on, but we can say things like, hey, Google, set the nest to 71 degrees. And she'll do it for you. It's getting hot in here. Yeah. Why don't you turn it down for us? Ooh, it's getting hot, Google. And well, and we have a small unit, so very quickly we will we will overheat or get too oh. cool. So it's nice 
being the lazy bitch that I am to be able to stay on the couch and say, hey, Google, do this for me so that I don't have to expend any energy doing it myself. Yeah. They can help you save money because they're smart. They know when yeah. you're home. They're no, they know when you're not. It's a peace of mind thing, too, especially if you have a pet at home. I have the Ecobee. I really like it for similar reasons that Laura likes her nest. Eric, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. And it involves it's linked directly to why I missed last week's MuggleCast. Uh, and that is that I was uh, on a journey uh, across the northwestern United States, particularly in South Dakota and Wyoming, where I visited Yellowstone National Park. And that's my recommendation this week, Yellowstone National Park. I found the natural beauty to just be stunning and way different. I, I'm considering myself a, a well-traveled person. I've been around to a lot of states, a lot of different sites, but Yellowstone really blew me away. And along with this recommendation, I'd just like to sort of plot maybe a economical way of seeing Yellowstone, because a lot of what you can do is self-driven if you're not into too much hiking or camping. Uh, what I found to be the most economical thing, if you're looking at somewhere to go, would be to fly into Bozeman, Montana. That's an international airport. They had a direct flight to Chicago and go down. It's about a 90 minute drive. So rent a car, go down to the town in Montana called West Yellowstone. There are days inns and little hotels there that you can get rooms for 200 a night, maybe even less. And then that is where the west entrance to Yellowstone Park is in Wyoming. So you can just drive 30 minutes and all of a sudden be right up there with Old Faithful. And it is an experience. I'll be posting some of my uh, images to Instagram. I took 1,700 photos, so I have to go through them oh a lot. Oh my God. But it <laughs> was a wonderful. I promise I also looked at nature with my own eyes, but yeah, it was a, it was a week long trip across. Um, we went to Rushmore in South Dakota and then went west to Yellowstone, but it it changed me as a person. So oh. I think it will you as well. Uh, that's my economical recommendation to go visit Yellowstone, but it's it seriously will blow you away. There's um, even just seeing a bison like 10 feet from you, which don't don't alarm them. Just yeah, let them haven't do their they thing, killed like, like two people in recent weeks? I shouldn't they, be laughing. I didn't. But yeah, yeah, they. Yeah. Bison but kills woman. Yeah. It's a natural beauty. Maybe those people had it coming. I'm not sure. <laughs> I didn't look it up. But but that's the thing is like you're 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 looking you're in their space. It's right, not like a zoo. Right. Right. In Yellowstone National National Park. You're in their home. Right. And that's that's the appeal. So these people uh, are being silly. There. Yeah. No, Eric, I've turned into a national park junkie in the last few years. And this Yellowstone is definitely high up on the list. There's also that TV show Yellowstone. And it's not set in the national park, but around it. And it's like a turf war show. It's pretty good. So if you're missing it, maybe check out <laughs> Yellowstone. I heard about Big Sky, too. My sister watches that. She was saying, I think that's like true crime of some sort, but it might be scripted. Yeah. Anyway, the natural beauty is amazing. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. So you went there actually after the the floods and stuff. So I guess it felt That's like everything was still okay, well, at least from what you saw. The north entrance, it's kind of like a real life theme park in a way because you go in an entrance. It's kind of like, okay, what ride do I want to see? How do I get to the queue to start queuing up for that ride? It's like that, but with real life and nature. It's yeah. unbelievable. There are all these sites. The map they give you shows you like you know, where everything is and you just drive on a road and it could take you an hour or two to get somewhere from one end wow. to the other. Like it's that it, we did a hundred mile round trip days hmm. 
and didn't even scratch the surface in the three days that we were there. You know, we saw the main ones, but so yeah, I would just recommend it's like $35 to get in for a week and then you just explore. Yeah. It's, it, it's really amazing. But the North entrance, which would be closer to Bozeman is actually uh, closed still due to the mudslides and some, some roads are just gone. So that'll be a one. Okay. Okay. Good to know. To your point, Andrew, that you've brought up before, and Eric is really highlighting it now, you know, when you're thinking of trying to travel on a budget here in the United States, national parks are a great option. Yeah. And Eric mentioned $35 for Yellowstone. You can get a national park pass, an annual national park pass, I think $70, $90. So it'll really pay for itself after a couple of visits. Like, Yellowstone and Grand Canyon alone are probably 35 each. Zion, very similar in price. So that pays for itself. I do the annual because it's just, it's a really good deal. Yeah. For those of you who've tried meditating for your mental health, have you considered open air, natural beauty, things that have been there long before you were born and will be there long after yeah. you kick the bucket? Yellowstone is that. I think that that for me is what changed. My acne is clearer and my mental health is clearer having visited so that's awesome look at that thank you yellowstone i watched yellowstone the show and those things did not happen to me so i need to <laughs> i guess go to the national park you said it's also like a turf war thing so maybe, maybe really that's stressful. not the best yeah. you gotta do the <laughs> real thing <laughs> andrew i thought it would clear my acne eric yeah. um anything you want to plug before we wrap things up here Really, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. It was a pleasure to get to talk uh, real world uh, politics and social media. I really had a blast. Yeah, it was great having um, you. Yeah, you were great. Eric dropped a, a fuck. I heard a fuck at one point. That must be nice, <laughs> Is that right? loud? I was going to yeah, ask of about course. after dark. Yeah, on MuggleCast, I, I get like really angry if Eric or anybody <laughs> else curses. Yeah. But here, it's the Wild West. Okay, I, well, I'm saving more for after dark. So uh, visit patreon.com slash millennial. Um, no, the thing I'll plug, though, um, my own podcast that I started uh, about, well, almost two years ago at this point called Thank You for Spieling is about to have uh, a new episode. In fact, a two-part episode with our friend Micah, who listeners will know. Fun. And I ask him the question, what did you do before you were famous? And that's the... Uh, that's the whole combo for we we reminisce. Micah's famous? I didn't know that. I mean, that's just the question, fucking. isn't it? But before MuggleCast, I never asked him in all the years that I've known Micah, that we've known Micah, I never asked him about his childhood, what TV shows he watched. And so that's a little teaser there for that. I'll listen to that because I don't know those things about Micah either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. He's like, he's always on point and on subject and on topic. And like, Mystery it man. was a wonderful wonderful thing to get to speak with them so cool. that will be coming up uh hopefully by the end of this month uh the first part will be out over on the podcast feed of thank you for spieling thank you for spieling okay we'll throw a link in the show notes as well today and of course we can catch you on MuggleCast too every week that you're not in yellowstone clearing your acne and yeah we'll have you on again sometime i i think it'd be fun to do some sort of MuggleCast millennial crossover yeah. on this show or the other way around but isn't that every week well i mean like it'd be cool to have micah and eric on millennial at the same time yeah. too i think yeah 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 and pam you got to come back to MuggleCast for sure pam if there's anything you ever want to rant about in regards to harry potter you're welcome on MuggleCast anytime sounds good Just... i'll start keeping a list for you <laughs> okay <laughs> 
Well, if anybody has any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, we're also on TikTok, but we're Millennial Pod there. And last but not least, make sure you're following Millennial for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any podcast app if they allow you to. All right, it's time for Quizage. Wait, no, wrong show. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. This week's question. Oh, sorry. I do that on command now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Maura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Eric. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.